Welcome back to the Enneagram Journey. Today's show is the second in our series highlighting the Enneagram and relationships as we get you ready for the launch of my new book, The Path Between Us. My guest is Enneagram 7, Dave Barnes. Music for this show comes from his new album, Who Knew It Would Be So Hard to Be Myself, which could be the name of a second Enneagram podcast. A 7 writes songs like Everything Is Everything Is Gonna Be Alright and chasing dreams, and a seven working on being the best seven, husband, father, and friend they can be, names their album, Who Knew It Would Be So Hard To Be Myself? I hope you enjoy today's show, and stick around at the end to hear some great music. All right, Dave, welcome to the interview. I want to tell you, I am so excited about this. I'm so glad that you're excited. I think, though, that since you're a seven, you would be excited about most things. <laughs> so what's the difference in your excitement about this and, you know, the other four things that happened today? You know, this one, because I'm just such a fan of the Enneagram yeah. and I've been sort of a fan of it and studying it for five or six years now, but two, just knowing you and how you teach and, and the way that you've, uh, you know, uh, spread the word. And so it's a lot of things. It's, it's more than just the usual, usual sort of glittery things that distract me. This is like a genuine, you know, like I'm really excited about it. A thing. It's a thing. All right. It's a thing. Here's where I want to start. I looked at the post that you have on about how to ride a horse or from Cowboy School. I walked. Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. Well, here's what I, I want you to know. My husband says all the same things about riding a horse that you said in Cowboy School, except he's not trying to be funny. (laughs) <laughs> so suddenly that well it's disturbing now <laughs> yeah right yeah. i've said right. for a long long time that uh for joe for my husband there's god mm. and then there's riding horses and mm. then there's me mm. and he never corrects that when i say it. that's he could be correcting it internally and you just don't know i don't think he is <laughs> no no, no i I don't think that's happening. It's good yeah. for you to take care of him in that way, though. Yes, ma'am. I'm trying. All right. So you are a, a singer and a songwriter, which I'm fascinated by because mm. I don't usually run into people who I think are good at both. And I also am uh, always pleased with songwriters who surprise me. Mm. So I'm friends with somebody that you're friends with, and that's Jill and Andy Gohorn. And uh, Andy is such a nine Mm. in all of his songwriting. Mm. It's like he kind of hooks me sometimes when I think he's going to sing a song about being away from Jill and the children and how hard it is. Have you ever heard him sing that song? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then he goes right into freedom. Oh, yeah. (laughs) How great it is, right? So I, I want us to start talking, since you've been doing Enneagram work for a while, about what you think is the difference in leading with humor and following with humor and what each one costs you and what it offers you. Yeah, you know, one of the tricks of my story is that I've been funny a lot longer than I've been musical. And so um, humor to me is really familiar. That's like, which I'm sure is no surprise, um, as a seven. So 
the ability to entertain via uh, making people laugh is really, really natural to me. That is, that is so I love that, but it's, I know it really well. That's, that's been kind of who I've been for a long time. So when music came in, suddenly there was something that I was still entertaining, but is so much more challenging. It requires a totally different set of skills. So I think for me, music has always been, um, I never can catch it. It's always right when I feel like, oh, I may have gotten something that shoots off again. Mm-hmm. And humor to me doesn't feel like that. Not that I'm Jerry Seinfeld or, you know, like the funniest guy ever lived. But I don't know. It's a little like I, I just understand it a little better. And so I think I think I've I've always been a little more fascinated by music. Like it's it's always held more. So I think for me, a big deal for me when I started my career was I really wanted people to take me seriously. I wanted them to, to hear my songs and people would always say, well, you should do funny songs. And I was like, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do here. And so for me, um, I didn't talk a lot initially because I kind of felt like I wanted this to be, I wanted this to all hinge on my ability to sing and write songs. And and uh, because that was just a big deal, I really I didn't want people to feel like, you know, he's a good singer and songwriter, but man, he's so funny. And so, you know, probably, honestly, five to six years ago, I finally was like, you know, I, I need to let that be more of what I do. And now it's a huge part of what I do. Now I'm doing stand up shows that I just do stand up. You know, I don't even do music. And so um, I think once I got comfortable going, OK, people know me also in this capacity, too, then I was OK with going okay, now I can be funny again because the other, you know, I just didn't want the other to one to get in front of the other. Um, and, you know, the costing, that's a great, you ask such great questions. I think the costing thing it is, to me, initially, I guess the first thought I have is that it costs either or the other to me in some ways. Like, seriousness can cost you the ability to be funny, and being funny can cost you the ability to, you know, uh, be serious song-wise. That's obviously not exactly true in real life but i think musically you know you sort of know if you're singing a serious song that people hopefully are out there laughing yeah and then vice versa you know so that that would be sort of my initial just off the off the cuff answer so uh my next question is about vulnerability and your humorous side and your serious side or your stand-up side and your music side do you think that it's possible that you intuitively wanted to keep the humor away from the music until you were grounded, as grounded, in expressing vulnerability with music as sevens are in uh, shielding themselves from vulnerability with humor. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's really fair. Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I would think so. I think a lot of it, like I said, was just this really... I just was really dedicated. And it still is in me where I'm like, I, I really want people, I, music, I always want to lead with that foot first and then let the other come behind. But, but that could, yeah, that could absolutely be why. Am I right that you know Luke Norsworthy? I do. Yeah. I do. So um, I never had done a podcast ever in my life until a few years ago, Luke called me and asked me to be on his. And so I had him open the Enneagram journey with me as my first guest. And in that podcast, he talked about, as a seven, how the fact that he leads with humor doesn't mean there's not something deeper behind it. Mm. And I think this is kind of an important time for men who are sevens Mm. to 
be sure to deliver what's behind the humor. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 67. I was the first women's basketball coach at SMU after Title IX. That's incredible, by the way. So I have fought the good fight for um, women and women's issues and women's equality and those kinds of things. And I, I for a time, thought we were past that. Mm. And I'll tell you how I knew when we weren't past it is when Barbie dolls got uh, popular again. Mm. And I thought, well, here, here we go again. But I just kept that yeah. to myself and swore that I would never get my granddaughter's Barbie dolls. And then they wanted one and I did. And, you know, the, <laughs> and, and there's all that. But I, I, uh, I did a podcast for somebody else recently. And they wanted to talk about the Me Too movement and um, all that's going on. And I think that men need models of ways of uh, expression and energy that are not dominating. Mm. And sevens have that. Yeah. It's like you intuitively have it. So now that I'm looking at your face and I know you get what I'm saying, would you talk about that for a little bit? Well, you know, I one of the things that's really funny about my marriage to Annie, who's Nate, um, I think on even the most subliminal le- levels, one of the reasons that I married her is she thinks I'm funny, but she doesn't think I'm as funny as a lot of people think I'm funny. Mm-hmm. And to me, what that does is it calls out these other things in me. So so if a lot of our relationship is not going to be based on humor, then it has to be based on significant things. And I think to me, um, I love that part of me. I mean, I think a lot of my friendships and I'm blessed with some great friends here in Nashville like we have a great time but these are deep rich friendships you know and and humor is a is a is a fun way we connect but it's really just the beginning of the rest of what we share Mm -hmm. and I think in a lot of ways that's something I love about my marriage you know people ask me that a lot they you know your wife must laugh at you all the time which sadly is probably true in ways that I don't love but (laughs) as far as me trying to make her laugh you know, she, she de- we have a humor that we share, but it's a, it's not a huge part of our relationship. I think she appreciates things in me that I sort of was like, I have these right, and she was like, yes, and that's what I that's what I want. Like, give me give me that. And so I think, you know, that has been a real place of maturation for me in the last twelve years of being married. Is just that she is really, you know, like we've left. I'll never forget one of the first. You'll love this. Such an eight moment, but we were leaving. One of the first times we had hung out in Nashville together, we were with some people I didn't know very well. And so I didn't know any of this stuff about myself at the time, but I just click on entertainer because yeah. nobody was kind of controlling the conversation and it was getting a little awkward. And so I was like, well, I know exactly what I need to do. And it was, you know, and I killed it. I mean, I got in the car, I was floating, I was smiling just ear to ear. And she looked at me and she was like, what was that? And I was like, right? <laughs> I mean, right. It was great, I mean, right? The joke <laughs> about this. Yeah. The, oh, my God. The skyscraper bit. I don't even know how I pulled that off. You know? <laughs> and she was like, and she was, it was, I, I tell the story all the time. She always rolls her eyes. But for me, it was this, she was like, I don't know what that was, but I don't like that. And that's not the day that I know. Yeah. Do you, she said, do you remember any of their names? And I was like, Mm-mm. she said, you didn't ask a question the entire lunch. And I was like, and it rocked me to the core because it was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly right. So I do think as I've gotten older, I think one, my marriage has helped a lot with that. But two, 
you know, I think as I've gotten older, your point is true. I've realized like there's something in me that's really starting to go, you know, I, I, I've thought a lot about, um, you know, I have three kids now. And so I just think a lot about what is it that I'm communicating to them? What's the legacy I'm leaving? And and it's going to really make me sad if people were like, man, he was really great. He was a great singer, songwriter, really funny or whatever. But there's not anything like, well, what, what did he believe? What, what was it that he was convicted by? What, you know, compelled him to do what he did? And it's really tough because I think one of the things that's hard when you're known for something is then not pivoting, but trying to add another piece to that. And people are not going to kind of go, all right, shut up, monkey boy, you know, keep dancing. And you're like, okay, you know. But thankfully, I think the, the thing I've been blessed by is my, again, my community here in Nashville and just the music community in general. I, that's any time that, you know, I have conversations with friends or I post something that's a little more on that. No one is ever like, what the heck? I think people do enjoy that. They right. tend to go like, in fact, it was amazing. Uh, my social media guy that works with us said that the most um, liked post I had on Instagram last year, my dad, who's a pastor we talked about, retired. And it was just a quick little thing on going, man, I'm so thankful for this man and my, my mom and what they contributed to my life and their ministry. And it was the most liked post. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and it was, you know, to your point, it was just fascinating. So I was like, isn't that interesting? One of the things that I think the Enneagram has to offer us is, well, you know, back in the day, like 2,000 years ago when spiritual masters were teaching the Enneagram to people, they only taught you your own number. And their thinking was, you don't need to know anybody's number but yours because you're the only one that you can do anything about. Hmm. And publishing Enneagram books didn't really start till the early to mid-1970s. So we don't have years and years and years of written word yeah. about the Enneagram. And in some ways, I lament that. I, I, I think there, there was a good thing there when what you were working on was you, and that was the only number you knew. And then we didn't do all this stuff we do about using our number for an excuse and uh, kind of uh, pushing numbers on other people when we don't really know them that well and things like that. But the upside, I think, is to begin to recognize that the questions that we ask people are often what determine the direction of the relationship. Mm. And I think when you know the Enneagram well, you learn to ask questions that tell you something that nobody can see. Mm. So I can see uh, by looking at your social media presence and by listening to your music and by looking at your website that you have a deep side and that you have a, a real gift with humor and that you can write music that is representative of not just your way of seeing the world, but of how other people see the world. Mm. So if I ask you what two questions you'd like to put out into the world that people would think about and answer for themselves or maybe talk about in a group or maybe... Um, even respond to you on social media. What in, in 2018, in 2018, in February, what two questions do you think we need to put out into the world? Oh, man, that is a great, that is a double great question. Um, you know, I found myself in this season of life thinking a lot about my kids. And, um, and I think one of the things that is really tricky about 
my generation and maybe the generations under us is there's been such a strong swing, which this is some of the danger, in my opinion, of the Enneagram is this sort of self work, you know, which is great. Um, but spiritually, as a Christian man, that's not enough. You know, like we don't get to heaven by being a great seven. Oh, that that's good. I, that's a lyric. It's coming. You don't get to seven, baby. Anyway, um, it's all happening right now. But 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 I think for me, um, can we just point out that I'm in the room with my son who is a seven, and that lyric may never make it to one of your published music pieces. But I'm going to live with that now on a regular basis. So thank you very much. I think we can just end right here. Um, yeah, I, 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 but I think the things that, that are tough is this movement toward the individual in such a just huge fashion. And, and I think one of the things that I've seen take the hit is families, is children, you know. Um, and some, I've, you know, we talked about this on Luke's podcast, but like, you know, I, I just, I think that when our dreams as people start to interfere with our children's well-being, um, when the things that we feel like we deserve start to take away from what our kids are truly due, that's a really tricky space to me, you know, kind of like this, you know, uh, I'm going to be gone for months at a time because my dream is to go be an actor in LA and that leaves my wife and kids at home for three or four months. That's where I just kind of go, man, there's a lot of shrapnel from that decision. That's not you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, even though it will come back to you because, boy, it, it always does. But that's a conversation piece I find myself talking a lot with my friends about. It's just kind of like how do we – there is a sense of sacrifice to being to being a parent that is profound. I mean you know that so well. Mm-hmm. But it's really profound, and I think it reaches farther than maybe we even can understand And that there's a piece of me that had to sort of make room – for my kids. And and I may never get that back. And it just may be something I, I go in the ground going, you know, I never realized all these potentials because when I had kids, that didn't, it, I just, I didn't get to do that anymore. That's not how that goes. And so I think something I would like to put out to the church, to the, to the world is kind of like how, so what does that look like as a parent? You know, how, how do we, how do we still take care of our kids while we try to be who we are? And I think that's, it's tough. You know, it's really tough. Um, I think that's one of them. And then another thing I've been thinking a lot about is this idea that you don't owe me your talents. Like as, as Christians, and that's a very important part of this, but I think whatever God has called you to do and whatever he has gifted you to do, yeah, you owe me that, but that may not be what you're really good at. You know what I mean? Like you, and, and it's just opened up this really fascinating thing in my head where I'm like, I just think, you know, let's say LeBron, I always use an example, LeBron James sits down on ESPN and says, you know, I'm retiring from basketball. I can still play as well as I, in fact, he may be better now as a 30, whatever year old man than he's ever been. He's just in great shape. He's learned how to do it. And he says, you know, I just want to be with my kids. Mm. I really feel like that's, I've got enough money to live a hundred lifetimes and I just can tell my kids need me and my family needs me. I'm ready to do that for a while. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I think we would go, no, that's not, but you've got this gift and Mm -hmm. you need to be a good responsible person by using this gift. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is the best thing for him 
is to be with his family. And we would probably and maybe try to make that a holy conversation. Well, God's given you this gift. and But the truth is, I want that because it makes me happy. Yeah. I want to see LeBron James play basketball because it's this little version of heaven because he does these truly superhuman things with his body that are iterations of heaven. They're iterations of perfection. And so it feels like these little idols we actually get to see down on the basketball court or up on the stage or mm-hmm. on the movie theater or wherever, or even in business. You know, Steve Jobs and these guys who who had this gift and going, but what if God was, you know, LeBron James knows God and God said, hey, LeBron wants to do this and, God, and LeBron goes, God just wants to do this. Like, I think a lot of us would still go, no, he doesn't. And I think that's a, that's scary to me. I think that's that's another piece, especially the church has got to learn to talk about better, is we have just, I think especially in America, we've really put so much value on our gifts mm-hmm. and that our gifts are what God has called us to do. And what do you say for the missionary who is the best singer you ever heard in your mm-hmm. life and brought you to tears and people walked down the aisle you know, to the song, so they gave their life to the Lord, and he goes, hey, God has called me to go be a missionary in Papua New Guinea. And you're yeah. like, mm-hmm, no, he didn't. Yeah, no. no, he didn't. Because you can bless more people by doing this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and so I think that's another conversation in the church I'd be fascinated about. Those are both really good, really good. So I'm going to respond to the second one. Well, actually, yeah, I'm going to respond to both of them. Here's what I can tell you. I, I have four beautiful, wonderful children, and I love them deeply and the people they love and their children. We have seven grandchildren. We're fixing to have eight. I turned down lots of opportunities when I was your age. Mm. And I took lots of opportunities when I was your age to uh, be with my kids. And I think my motivation in part was because I was adopted. And I kind of had this thing about always growing up with, I'm going to be a great mom. I'm going to do that. But one of the things I always say is God was very faithful to me because the older my kids got, the more opportunities I got. Mm. And I didn't really start traveling until my last one left home. Now, that's not that, that's my journey, and I certainly don't think mm. it's everybody's. But what I do believe is this. I think when we choose holistically, God, we, we, we can be more aware of God's faithfulness. Mm. That's a good word. The second thing I want to share with you is I just want to give you a story. And and it's a, a really good story about discernment that I recently told, and I haven't told it in years. When I was um, much, much younger here in Dallas, I heard about a an Episcopal priest who had a, a church that was small and his and that he was a great preacher. And I'm a United Methodist, but I thought, I'm going to just go check that out. And I went, he was this big, tall man. His name was Homer Rogers, and his wife's name was Dot. And Dot was very feisty. She was a race car driver. And Homer was this Episcopal priest, and they're living. What? Yeah, and they're living life. And the church maybe could seat 100 people. And there's this huge tile mosaic behind the altar. And he did it himself, and it's little bitty pieces of tile. And I loved his preaching, and I liked being there. And um, then I went on with my life, but I knew people who went to church there, and somebody said, you need to drop by. The, they've got quite a story going right now. So I went, and I said, hey, what's up? He said, well, uh, you know, Dot and I go to Mexico every summer. We have for a long time to work with people there. And 
a couple of summers ago, we were there, and they started saying to me, please don't go back to the States. Stay here with us. We need you. And there are plenty of priests in the States, so please stay with us. And so after the second year, he said, well, I'm going to go home and pray about it. So it was a small church in the altar guild and a small church, or, you know, the church ladies, you know, the, the, mm. the church ladies. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. were there three or four days a week. And um, Homer told him that they needed to um, stay out of the sanctuary until he came out because he'd be there praying every morning. And he said that every morning he knelt down and he said to God, you know, I'm, I'm yours. I, I'm your servant and I'll go to Mexico or I'll stay here. I just need you to tell me what you want me to do. Mm. And he prayed day after day after day and just didn't get an answer. And the ladies would ask him about once a week if he knew what he was going to do. And he would say, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a word from God yet. I don't know. And one day he walked out and the ladies said to him, well, did you get an answer today? And he said, yes, I did. And it was, I, I could hear God's voice. And I said, God, I'm your servant. I'll go to Mexico if you want me to, or I'll stay here. And God said, Homer, I don't care. <laughs> Yeah. And I think we put an awful lot of pressure on ourselves, particularly if we don't know a wisdom tool like the Enneagram, to believe that there is a dualistic either or answer to very complex Mm. questions. Mm. And I think the Enneagram gives us a, a look at ourselves that teaches us that we are prone to a certain response to life. Mm. and that we need to hold that in check. Mm. And your example is perfect because you're prone to, yeah, I'm going to L.A. for four months, and it's going to be so great, and you can come on the weekends, and I'll be home, and we will all have a wonderful time. But once you know the Enneagram and you're a seven, you know, I I have to check that. Mm -hmm. I have to check that. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to talk about your title for your new album. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knew it'd be so hard to be myself? All right. Um, why that album title? You know, so so I, I've, I've uh, vocationally been a singer songwriter that did my own music for years, um, and then when our kids were born, um, God created this really cool opportunity through a song that a guy named Blake Shelton recorded, and it was a big country hit for me to be home more which was a tremendous blessing. I mean, Annie has always been the one that's like, go, no, do your thing, do your thing. And that was the first time in our marriage. And there were times where I would come home and go, like, I don't know about this anymore. And she'd be like, you're crazy. You're great at this. Go do it. And she was right. And when we had been our, our oldest, who's six now, um, that was the first time about a month in. She's like, I think it's time for you to be home more. So when that happened, I started um, I started contractually writing songs for other people also. So I've always I've, I've still done my music and my albums, and uh, I did that deal about three or four years ago. And I looked up after doing it about three years and was just crazy. I was like, I had all this jealousy, I had all this envy, I had all this anger toward dear friends of mine in town who were having a lot of success. And I just was like, what is this? I didn't know any of these things in me until this thing happened. And a big reason, I think, for that was as an artist, as a, as a singer-songwriter, there was there was no fixed point for me to compare myself to because it's all so esoteric and everywhere. You know, I can't compare myself with James Taylor because how do you even do that? He was born in a different – you know, like yeah. his story is wildly – 
But all of a sudden, when you're writing songs for other people, everybody's kind of shooting for the same targets. Mm-hmm. And so I'd see a friend and they go, hey, man, you know, I got a Tim McGraw you know, uh, song recorded this week. And I go, oh, I'll try to get a Tim McGraw song. And he said no. And so all of a sudden it was like, you know, as a, as a mid-30s-year-old man at the time, I was dealing with real stuff I hadn't dealt with since I was probably like 2021 20, starting my song, songwriting or my singer-songwriting career. And so um, I just turned into all these iterations of myself to try to make it work in one room with these people and then another one with these people. And I think I looked up as I started to write that record and I was like, what am I? I don't even know who I am anymore sometimes, you know? And so why can't I just be who I am? And why is that so hard to do? Why why don't I have the faith in the Lord that he's given me all I need to do that? Um, And so it was this very, very sort of um, convicting and eye-opening but really freeing thing as I wrote this record to kind of realize that and to sort of go, and you know, this is probably the most vulnerable record I've ever written and, you know, fun to kind of put that in music and kind of go like, you know, here's, here's some stuff that I haven't talked about a lot and I've really never struggled with until now. And so it felt only fair to really talk about that, you know? When I uh, teach, which is a lot, I, um, <laughs> I try to talk about the difference in change and transformation. Mm. And I think change happens when you take on something new. You, you know how you go to a movie and you think I'll never be the same, or you hear a song and you think I'll never mm. be the same, and then, yeah. you know, three or four months later, you don't remember the name of the movie or the name of the song, right. and you're the same. Right, right. But I think transformation occurs usually when something falls away. Mm. something old falls away and you have no control over that. And so you have to have a new response to life. Mm -hmm. And I think that Enneagram has the potential to set the table for people to Mm. walk through their days in a way that allows space for some things to happen without us controlling everything all the time Mm -hmm. so that some transformation occurs where we take a different path and we kind of try something new and, we find a new way for ourselves. Not that eliminates the old way, but that reflects the old way. And I've said for a long time that I think think every number gets support for that Hmm. in one way or another except sevens. And I think we have a tendency, the rest of us, when sevens try to take a deeper path to say, what what happened to you? You used to be so funny. Or when they take a path where they're asking a question about who am I and how can I be that person, that person that I'm created to be, which is underneath all this Enneagram talk. You know, I spend my days teaching people who they're not. Mm. Because this is sevenness isn't who you are. Who you are is beneath all of that, right? Right, right. And so I'm, I'm intrigued that you put words around, and I'm anxious to hear the rest of the album. I'm intrigued that you put words around the fact that who knew this would be so hard because myself is not sevenness. Mm-hmm. Myself is not the guy you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm way more than that. Mm-hmm. And I think God's faithfulness is that when you live into being more than that, then it includes that in a new yeah. way. You know, I don't think God asks us to give up what God has gifted us to do. Mm. Man, that's a good word. And it just makes me so sad when people don't want sevens to show us the rest of them. 
Well, you know, you know, it's so funny that you say that. I think about this every now and then. It's always really profound to me. But like, I have wonderful friends who I love so deeply and mean the world to me. But I, I, I sort of looked up a few years ago and realized one of the biggest prayers I needed to pray was for encouragement, which you think would be weird for me because again, I just, I've never, I feel so loved by my friends. Like I've never, I don't go through a lot of seasons where I'm like, where is everybody? And I'm struggling. But I think something that I've started to realize is one of the biggest misnomers that happens with me is people just always think that I'm okay. Or, or, or maybe that's not even fair. It's just that they think like, Dave's got what he needs and he is doing his thing. And I can tell you on two hands, maybe one in my career when someone I really respected gave me a piece of encouragement that was poignant and not in passing or you're so great at this, but was like, man, that lyric on this song is awesome. Or when you sang last night, this one part of the song, you sounded incredible. Or And, and, it, and it's really fascinating to me. Like I still remember them poignantly, these moments and I, and because they don't happen much and again not woe is me but i think there's a misunderstanding yes. a lot of times about who i am and that's probably as much my fault because of the you know the way i portray myself um but it's it's profound i thought about that literally yesterday i was like isn't it funny like that that that's just not something that ha and people are kind to of me and they're very complimentary but i mean those moments where they really go like when you came and taught at our church and you spoke on this thing, mm -hmm. that was so helpful to me and this is what it did. Because you leave going, wow, that's 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 a solid piece of something. I could not, man, we enjoy your workshops and we love your books, which that's great. But it is funny you would bring that up because that is definitely a, a, a something in my life that's always been really tricky. Um, and I think sometimes, and you know, one of the big things that, that has been a struggle for a lot of my life is a feeling of being too much. You know, like I'm just too much for people. And, and 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 I found that with my seven friends that that's a consistent feeling. And I think some of that causes us to hide some of that stuff away because I just don't – because I, I do feel and I have a lot of thoughts about things that are serious and, you know, like mm -hmm. challenging. But I, I've, I've, I've had numerous people not be friends with me after a while because I think they just feel like, man, you are – so much to take on. Yeah. Um, and some of that's immaturity on my part, but I think it teaches, it taught me in some really negative ways to kind of go, okay, well then we just don't do that. We, we put that away and you don't do that because man, when you, I mean, I had a dream for a series of years where there was a guy that was older than me who's a friend of mine and we've since been able to talk about this and it was wonderful, but I really wanted him to help me musically. And this was the beginning of my career, and he was having a lot of success. And anytime we talked about anything but music, he was available. But the minute I wanted to talk about music, he was not. And I had dreams where we would be in a room, and a guitar was in the corner. And the more I would walk toward the guitar, the further he got away. Mm -hmm. And it was just this feeling of people want certain things, and they don't want other things That's from right. me. And I, think, and I think a lot of that for a long time was humor. People really wanted right. that, and so I gave it to them. And then the minute it got into like, hey, can I tell you something I'm thinking about, or can you mm -hmm. help me with this? People were like, ah, Gotta go. No, no. Yeah. gotta go. You know, so it's it's interesting you bring that up. Can you talk to me about reframing? You know, part of what I teach is that um, sevens can reframe any negative into a positive really fast. Oh yeah. So could you? T you know, I think everything has two sides. Mm -hmm. So I I want you to start by talking to me about the high side of that. I want to hear you say that. I'm, mostly, <laughs> I want other people who listen to hear a seven talk about that. 
But then I want to talk about the low side of reframing too. I want you mm-hmm. to talk about the low side. Yeah. So I think I think the high side is, and this is so. I mean, this only someone that knows Enneagram well would know how to ask that question because it. I, I even want to reframe the reframing question. Do you know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like, but let's really think. But I think the good things about it are there is a resilience that I like about me. It's very like we can get up and do this. And okay, here's your way of looking at that. But look, look, look. You're missing all of these opportunities. And sometimes that's true. And I think some of my friendships really benefit from that, where I can come in and go like, hey, let me help you up. Now, that's the bad stuff, right? But let me tell you what you're not seeing that's really good. And sometimes that's great. I think something that's that I've learned about it that's hard for me but is so beneficial is, to your point, like everything is not black and white in the world as much as I want it to be so badly. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of hard things. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of things that are inexplicable. And so for me, I have to be, as I get older, I've just had to go, man, that stinks. And I'm just going to sit here and let's just realize that that stinks. And, and, and I think that, has, and, and a really good friend of mine, one of my best friends, um, kind of had to teach me how to do that. I, I would do, I would start to go off and he'd be like, man, would you just be quiet and sit with me? Mm-hmm. And it was like, so hard for me to do, but I think as I've gotten older, there's a wonderful part of that that I'm starting to learn, which is to be, to, to, God is still in control. And I think in those moments, I started to feel like, oh, we can get off the rails, and it starts becoming a theological issue for me. And I think as I go, oh, no, 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 like, you know, this this is, Jesus cried at Lazarus' death. Like, that's a, that's a real thing, you know? And so... Being okay with that is a powerful, powerful thing. Especially, I think especially for my friends who know that's not easy for me, you know. Yeah, it's really not. Yeah. And it's really necessary. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So I'm going uh, to challenge you to read a book that I love. Oh, good. The name of it is The Sun and the Moon Over Assisi. Oof. And it's about St. Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason, I love the book. I've, I've, I've read it, I don't know, 10 times. And it's a journey. And sometimes sevens don't slow down enough to take a journey. You think? So the reason I want you to read it is because you have a, you have a platform. And he writes the book, and, and I would prefer, his name is Gerard Staub, and I would prefer that you find a used hardback copy. Hmm. Like, I'm really believing that you're going to read this book. I think you're going to do it. <laughs> so that's okay, why I'm okay. telling you what copy to buy and all that. Yeah, because yeah. it you it's a beautiful book and it uses different fonts for different things. Mm. And one of the reasons that I think it's so important for sevens to buy the hardback copy is because it uses different fonts for different things. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You don't know how much that helped me. And for fours and sevens, they tend to have the same speed, not the same as the other, but they each have mm-hmm. the same speed. Mm-hmm. They have one font that is is how they express themselves. Yeah. And I think that the important thing about that book is that there's a a story about what's happening in the world. There's a story about what's already happened. And then there's his response to Mm. that story. Mm. And for Francis of Assisi, the whole journey was about less is more. Mm. I have all this, and now I'd like Mm. to have... But when the pendulum swings, when it's this high on one side... Then it swings that high on the other side. Mm-hmm. So um, I want you to read it because I think it'll I think it'll be that's a gift great. for you. That's why I want you to read yeah, it. Yeah, that's great. 
What I want you to talk about is what life is like for you in the ordinary middle. Oh, what a dark place. <laughs> what a dark place. You know, one of the one of the biggest tells for me as a seven, and when when my buddy Christopher Hewers got me into it was that I'm a futurist. I mean, I'm nothing if I'm not, my day is only, and this is not healthy, but my day is only as good as what is about to be fun. Um, and I think for me, it, it manifests, so it's really hard for me to have days on a calendar where there's not a point of, so today, this was that for me, you know, that like, no, we're going to talk and I love what you do. And so that was, you know, that, that, that revved me up for numerous days. So now it's going to be the, you know, the drop of leaving that's going, oh, what's the next fun thing? You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so, so I think kids honestly have been a real, that has been such a challenge. I was laughing with a friend of mine the other day because I'm so bad at sitting on the floor yeah. with my kids and just playing. Especially if I know I have nothing else on the schedule for the next hour. Because I'm like, oh, this is going to be really rough for me. Because I'm going to enjoy it for a couple minutes and then I'm going to want to do something else really bad. And so there's these disciplines that I'm terrible at. I'm so bad at them that I'm trying to be better at of just being still, being you know, letting the five start to you know peek through a little. Which my sister is one, which is so fun because I, I learned a lot from her about that. But you know, th those are really hard to do. middle. The ordinary middle for me is is really tough. Being just being um, is kind of terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's it's. Boredom is just the word. We 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 went to Uganda years ago. My wife and I and some friends of ours to stay at this um, orphanage for a few days. We were there for I think four days, and literally halfway through the first day and into the second morning, I was like, I came to the guy who's a dear friend of mine that was leading the thing, and I was like, I'm about to go crazy, and I legitimately mean that. I'm not talking about like uh, let's all giggle. Like I, I'm gonna go crazy sitting here, and it was the I really think in my life it was for the hardest days of my life because it was all these kids and we had nothing to do but to sit there and be with these kids, mm -hmm. and I I was going absolutely out of my mind, mm -hmm. and it was really terrible. And I didn't know about any of the stuff at that point. And I just remember thinking like, what is wrong with me? Because I could see other people were struggling with it, but I was like going crazy mm -hmm. you know so it's really tough that is a tough thing for me and so what can you share anything that you any one poignant lesson that you've learned from times in the ordinary middle well again that's one of the things i love about the enneagram knowing that five is my path toward integration it is i if i can go hold on hold on hold on there are things to be gained in this moment i'm bored to death this is what starts to happen and this is where the spirit really starts to do his wonderful thing as I start going, man, the sunlight in this room is amazing. Mm -hmm. My daughter and her hair, oh, it's so cute. And listen to her little voice, isn't it? Oh, I love her little scratchy voice and her little hands. And oh, it's, it's just, oh, look at the, you know, all of a sudden I get really slow and I get really centered and, and I see the Lord all of a sudden, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, we, we have health and nobody's sick and what a blessing today right. is and and that's what happens and so but it's so much work but i feel like when that starts to happen i I've, i i can go oh my gosh what a gift this is to be still and to be here and to be slow and to really take in what's happening yeah. you know and that's what happens when i spend time with the lord i mean that was that to me was one of the most affirming things about the enneagram was that when i spend time with the lord i'm a five 
Yep. I'm just so thankful. And I'm fu- I, one of the funniest things is my friends make fun of me. They'll get so many texts from me after I, after I pray. <laughs> dude, how you doing thinking about you this morning? I hope that thing went well, Sin. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude, I was thinking, you know, because that's what happens is I get thoughtful and, yeah. and I think about, you know, everything else but me. You know, it's interesting that that's what you do when you get thoughtful. Because one of the things that I've learned from sevens that people don't pick up is that you need somebody to check on you too. That mm. sevens need somebody to call and say, you doing all right? How yeah. you been? I was thinking of you this morning. And we don't do that. People don't People don't yeah. check in with sevens. So that's a word mm-hmm. for everybody to hear. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about being a futurist in, in Enneagram language. Of course, that means that your orientation to time is the future. And there's a a guy whose name is David White, W-H-Y-T-E. He's a poet um, of my generation Mm. and currently writing poetry. And you might really like that, I think. And he talks about, um, in a book titled Constellations, he talks about a, a different word every day. So I start my day with that book. Uh, you know, I'm in the first year of doing that, kind of going through it. And the word at the top of the page is, and they're very challenging. And the word mm-hmm. at the top of the page is maturity. And I thought, sweet, finally one that I've got. Like, I'm not going to have to go to the end of the earth to be able to feel kind of okay about myself today. Because this is me right here. Right, right. And his definition of maturity is being able to hold the past and the present and the future all together, all at Mm. the same time. Mm. And that was at least two years ago, and I still don't have it. Oh, yeah. Okay, um, I want to talk to you about your relationship with Annie, for a starter, Mm. because you're both aggressive numbers. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So there's a lot there, right? A seven and an eight. That that in my language means that you think up stuff and she says, let's go do it. Mm-hmm. Or she thinks up stuff and you say, there's no reason why we can't go do it, right? Mm-hmm. So what, uh, first of all, just in the relationship between the two of you, mm-hmm. what do you think is the advantage of you both being aggressive numbers? And what do you think is the disadvantage? You know, the reason, I'll say this quickly, the reason that I got into the Enneagram is because we were, we had hit a hard patch in our marriage that we could not figure out. Like, we were disconnecting so consistently, especially in how we communicated to each other. And a friend of mine said, uh, Hewitt was like, you should check this out. And I was like, well, what? And literally reading about it, they were using exact quotes from our fights. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought somebody was like living in my mind butter. I was like, what is this magic nonsense? And how do they know this? So, um, you know, so it's, that's really why I got into Enneagram was, and it has helped our marriage so much. I mean, we frequent it. We, we frequently talk about it frequently, frequently talk about it. Um, but I think one of the advantages of both of, of us is when the energy is together and we are pointed in the same direction, we are indestructible. I mean, like you, you can't find two people who I feel like when we are in agreement, it whatever we have chosen will happen, <laughs> other than the Lord coming and sort of Gandalfing his, yeah. you know, you know, his right in front of us. We're gonna pull it off, um, and I love that. I love love that. It's it's really fun. She is so hospitable, and I am too. And that's something we we synergize. She's really benevolent, and I love to be benevolent. So that's a that's something for us. It's always really fun. Um, I love that. 
love that. Um, and she can meet me energy-wise about things we get excited about, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she's, she's up for it. The hard part, and man, when it is hard, it's really hard, is when we disagree. It is really, really, I mean, we can, we can really get into some scraps. And thankfully, by the grace of God, that you know we don't do the cursing yelling things and and none of that by the grace of god but we can really disagree i mean and it can get cold fast um and so counseling a lot of counseling has helped us and and honestly the enneagram has maybe been as um informative as anything that we've done on a practical counseling sort of level because just understanding annie I think one of the things that I loved about learning about myself is I process at just light speed. I mean, mm-hmm. I can arrive at my conclusions in seconds, where Annie is nowhere near that. And so we would have so many disconnects on me going, oh, blah, 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 blah. that's how I feel. How do you feel? And she'd be like, I haven't even thought about what you just said, right. much less how I think. So, you know, just even pieces of that and knowing that she says things without knowing how she's saying them. She knows what she's saying, but just not how she's saying it. And so she can just clean my clock and be like, what do you think? And I'm like, you want to fight? She's like, no, I don't. I was just making a point. And I'm like, no, no, you don't make a point like that. That's, you're trying to pick a fight with me right now. So those kind of things, you know, can be tough, really tough. All right, here's the, probably our last question because it's all we have time for, but we're coming back. We're going to do this again someday, you and me. Yes. Yes. Come All right. Um, what do you think you need to be mindful of for the three children with two aggressive parents? Oh, my gosh. You know, one, there's a few. One of them is creating space for them um, because Annie and I take up a lot of – I take up a ton of space. Mm-hmm. I mean, just my personality – and, um, which a lot of that I like, I like that I'm really fun and the kids laugh a lot and we have a good time. But I think from, for, for me going, Hey, give them space to be any, we got to get like, don't answer all the questions. Don't, you know, let them talk and be patient as they arrive at their conclusions. Um, that's a big piece of it. Um, and I think not knowing everything, we, I think both of us struggle with feeling we're, we can be very black and white on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, and we agree on that, which can get really troubling, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and sort of learning to go, I don't know. What do you think? You know, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. You know, there's a lot of those things I think we're starting to, we're starting to understand. And, you know, any, both of our relationship with the children is so fascinating because, I have huge, like, I think a deficiency of mine is presence. You know, as much as I'm present and I'm around a lot, um, I'm not very present a lot. And right. I think I'm in the room with them, and that makes me feel like I'm there, but but I can be checking Twitter or I'm just off in flights of fancy. You know, I'm fantasizing about the next thing I get to do that's fun next to whatever I'm doing. And I think Annie is learning how to take all of her energy, um, all of that sort of aggression and and – you know, just be careful with it, that it doesn't sort of explode onto them. Um, and both of those are disciplines for us. So we think about that stuff a lot. Good. That makes me happy. Yeah, thanks. So what do you wish, this is the last question. What do you wish other people knew about sevens? I love, first of all, I love that question. And I thought about that question laying in bed last night. And I'm so excited to answer this because it's something that I feel like a lot of people don't know. Um, my closest friends know this about me, but I love to be deep. I love thoughtful, um, vulnerable, challenging discussions. I, I, I think um, 
and it makes me sad when I feel like I don't get to do that with people. You know, again, people kind of look at me as a drive through for a good time and then they're kind of gone again. And I think, um, I'm so thankful for my friends who appreciate that, but are like, okay, this is the thing I want us to talk about tonight. Or, Hey, have you thought about this? And, and one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time, there's a guy that goes to church with me. He's a dear friend and he's in Bible study with me, but we, we were getting to know each other a few years ago. And we went to lunch and, you know, he's like, let's go grab some food. So we sit down and we start talking. And at the end of it, he looked at me and he's, he's, he's a nine. He's just a wonderful dude. But he looked at me and he's like, dude, you are deep. Yeah. Oh, and he was like, <laughs> and he said, man, what that, what a joy. He was like, this was so, I didn't know at all. You had all this stuff you thought and it's great. And he just kind of sat there and was like, man, this was wonderful. And I thought that means so much to me, you know, because I think it's, it's, um, I love that part of myself and I, I really grieve that when I feel like that's not something that people get to see. I mean, I think a lot of that can be my fault, but that is definitely something that I, I celebrate when I feel like people discover that about me. You know? That's good. That's good. So I'm going to be teaching quite a bit in Nashville in the next 18 months. Really? Yep. So, um, watch the website and, um, boy, I'd like to, uh, get together with you guys and meet Annie. Oh, I would, you would love her. She I, is. I would really, really best. like to do some things with you guys in real time. You know, no screens. I would love that. Okay, well, let's kind of try for that. Young adults and high school and college folk need to hear you. Well, that's kind. That's really kind. And I want young sevens to hear you say, that there are other ways to engage people first, mm. not just humor. Mm. Yeah, it's still Because hard. things are moving so fast that if you lead with humor, sometimes that's the only part of you that people are going to know. Mm. Mm. And I want them to know more. <laughs> Me too. Thanks. All right. Gosh, it was good to have you on the Enneagram journey. Thank you yes. so much. Thank you so much for having me. You betcha. Hope I get to see you soon.